Georgia, 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 Georgia. Welcome to the Georgia High School Football Chat Podcast with Smitty and Banks. I am Coach Travis Smith, and my co-host is the one and only Coach Terrence Banks. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself, Coach? I'm doing real um, good. Man, trying to make it, trying to make, trying to survive, and trying to uh, get through uh, this monotony that we seem to be going through right now. You know, so <laughs> talking a lot of football, but uh, looking forward to another another good show with you and our guests for today. Um, before we bring in our guests for today, let's talk about our Twitter poll from last week. Uh, last week, we asked coaches who was in charge of the recruiting process for their program. Uh, Coach Banks, what type of feedback did we receive from uh, last week's poll? Um, it was 40% that said combination of coaches, 38% said the head coach only, and 19% said recruiting coordinator. I expected combination of coaches. That's what I voted for, so I'm not shocked. Um, when I was a head coach, it was both. I think that um, I think most schools, again, need a recruiting coordinator, and I think the head coach should pass off the majority of it to him and just make sure that they check in, are accountable, and finish what need be. There's so much stuff on the head coach's plate. Recruiting is an important part. But, um, you know, you got, you know, coordinators for everything else. I think you're the coordinator for this. And then you do what you need to do as a head coach. That's just my opinion. So I, the, the poll was right along with what I thought it would be, a combination of coaches. What did you think about the poll, uh, Travis? What did you uh, vote I'm, for? I'm kind of- I'm kind of like you. I voted for combination as well, but I, I I understand the assigning a recruiting coordinator, but I think you still have to have a combination of. I like doing the combination of coaches because uh, if you if you have a lot of coaches coming in, it can get overwhelming on that one coach to to entertain all of those coaches coming in. So if you have, uh, I think we we have a recruiting coordinator, but then we involve every coach in the process. And what I mean by that is that if a coach comes in, we can and, and the recruiting coordinator has a coach with him already, he can pass that coach off to another coach and everybody's on the same page because we, we're, we're passing the same information, things of that nature. And like you said, head coach, but for those who voted for head coach, I, I don't I don't see how they're getting it done, man. Um, when you throw, like you said, when you throw all the other things that the head coach has to deal with, and then on top of that, you're dealing with recruiting too, especially if uh, what if that coach is in the building, you know, and he teaches a a uh, a core class or something along those lines. You know, I, I don't see how a head coach uh, can can find the time of the day to get all of that 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 type of stuff done. And and my I, I, my thing is, if if the head coach is doing it, he's going to be lacking in, in in one way or another. And you typically get better feedback from college coaches when the process is streamlined, meaning that they can come to the school, they know where to go, know who to talk to. They're not sitting in the office for an hour waiting on you and waiting on kids to come, you know. So I just think uh, having a recruiting coordinator for one and then involving everybody in the process, I think that's the best way to go about it. What about you? I got you. I got you. Well, Coach, let's go ahead and tell everybody about this guest we got. I think they're going to love this guy right here. Rings talk. <laughs> I, I, I do, too. Well, Coaches, first of all, thank you for your input in last week's poll. Please continue to share your thoughts and opinions every Friday. All right, now allow me to introduce our guest for today's show. 
fresh off winning GHSA Class 2A state championship. He's the creator of the Southeast Wing T Clinic, a clinic that he shares with high school coaches across the country. He's a vet in the game, high school football with over 150 wins. He's known by many as the Wing T Guru. Podcast listeners, join me and welcome to the show, the head football coach of my hometown, Dublin, Georgia, high school football fighting Irish, Coach Roger Holmes. How you doing, Coach? Man, that's that's a hefty introduction there, Travis and uh, Coach Banks. I really appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity uh, to come on and and share some ideas with the guys out there. We're all going through these tough times right now, and our prayers are for everybody across the country and especially the state of Georgia as we're headed toward the peak of this thing and hopefully get it going in the other direction soon. I will appreciate that, Coach. Again, thank you for joining us. To start us off, Coach, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Tell them a little bit more about who uh, Coach Holmes is. Well, guys, I grew up in uh, northern middle Tennessee area in a little old bitty town called Westmoreland, Tennessee. Uh, started playing high school football there. Uh, actually, youth league football all the way through high school. Uh, I think the interesting thing about it was uh, – it was the middle of my sophomore year, guys, and back then they used to only take uh, one team to the state playoffs, and we had already lost two football games early in the season, and we had an open date week, and our coaches were searching for something to kind of get our football program turned around, and we put in the very basic series of the wing tee uh, in 1976, and uh, – we went on and won 17 football games in a row before we lost. And that kind of, as a high school quarterback, and a kid who loved the game of football, started giving me a lot of beliefs in that game. And uh, I went on, I played as a walk-on at Middle Tennessee State University under Coach Boots Donnelly, who was a took a program that was down and, and stayed there, and he built that program. And Coach Donnelly was a tough guy now. If you didn't, you didn't come to work every day, you didn't make it too long around Coach Donnelly. And uh, so anyway, when I left there, I went right back to Westmoreland High School. They hired me back at my school, and I coached there for two years. And, man, like a lot of you out there, I started thinking, you know, I want to be a head football coach one day. And the fact that Westmoreland was a single-A school in the state of Tennessee at that time, they only went to three classifications. And I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm beating this around and I thought, well, you know, if I want to be a head football coach and my goal was to be one by the time I was 30. And uh, I chose to go to Beach High School in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And uh, the head football coach there was a gentleman by the name of Herschel Moore. And Herschel Moore was the uh, wing T master, if you will. So I, I went there to not only learn football, but to be an assistant coach, I was his defensive coordinator. And now I was in the largest classifications. And I just felt like that that would make me more marketable across the board when the head coaching opportunities arose. Now, I don't think it's right, guys, but I think that principals and administrators, you know, people have a tendency if you're sitting in a 7A castle to think that a guy that's coaching single A football is as good a football coach as they have in the big programs. Well, they may not be, but I think sometimes in some cases they are. And uh, 
But I made that choice, and when Coach Moore retired, they made me the head coach at Beach High School. I stayed there for 11 years as their head football coach, and it was it was a tough deal. We were the smallest school in the largest classification. Uh, we were not anywhere near as athletic as places, uh, some of the schools and programs that we had to compete against. But after a few years, then uh, after that 11-year stint in 2002, I was fortunate to get a job in Dublin, Georgia, and I've been there ever since. So it's been 18 years in Dublin, Georgia. Um, as you as you mentioned, Coach, you you're from the Tennessee area. You spent a, a good bit of time coaching in the Tennessee area prior to coming to Dublin High. Uh, there are numerous coaches across the country trying to do the same thing you did, Coach, trying to get into the Georgia into the Georgia market of uh, high school football. What what is it? exactly about high school football in the state of Georgia that makes it a sought-off destination for coaches? Guys, I think there's multiple things to that, but let me let me give you my scenario in Tennessee. Uh, I'd been, I coached there for 19 years, like I said, 11 years as the head football coach. Uh, my salary as the head football coach, 11 years in, 19 years in education, my total salary was $42,500. The only way you were going to get a pay raise was to go get a master's. And in the state of Tennessee, a master's degree only gave you $2,000 more per year. Well, when you figure out what it was going to cost you to get that master's, that $2,000 a year in your salary increase, by the time they take out taxes, it was going to take you 15 to 20 years to pay that master's degree off. Uh, you guys, years ago, and y'all might be too young to remember, but there was a newspaper article that came out in the AJC. And some buddies of mine shared with me, and it was called Pay Dirt. And it was an article, and they were talking about what high school coaches were making in the state of Georgia. But it wasn't only the coaches. Uh, the governor at that time, I think, had put a 25% pay raise over a three-year period for teachers in the state of Georgia. The, Georgia had the Hope Scholarship for my young children, who are both now out of college, and both of them were able to get Hope Scholarship. The state of Tennessee had none of that. Uh, so from a financial standpoint, guys, it was a no-brainer to want to come and coach in the state of Georgia. Now... Also, as a competitor, everybody knows that the state of Georgia is tremendous in their high school football. There is an emphasis still placed on high school football. I don't think there's any question in this state of what the popular sport is. Now, the other sports are important, and I'm not mm -hmm. trying to make it sound that way. But the money, the support, the sat, the stipend, the staff sizes, all of those types of things make you understand that coaching football in the state of Georgia is a big deal. Now, guys, it wasn't easy for me to get here, and I tell the story quite often. I interviewed for 15 different jobs in the state of Georgia over a five-year period before I got the job in Dublin. Uh, I was the bridesmaid on four or five of them, to be quite frank with you. And uh, mm. All of a sudden, and I tell people all the time, the only reason I got the job in the state in Dublin was because they had hired a coach and he left them three days into spring practice. 
and it was the middle of June and you couldn't bring any assistance with you or anything else. So we, mm -hmm. me and my family, we packed up, moved 500 miles, man, and, and took a shot in the dark and good Lord took care of us because this is where we've been ever since. That's a lot of stuff. You said a lot of stuff that uh, Chris Parker said when he was on our show and I tell people the same thing about my experience, you know, getting my first head coaching job and even a second one and hopefully one day a third one. I have been the bridesmaid more time than I have been the bride, but that's the business. <laughs> it's guys, it's hard to come from out of state uh because you don't have those references that people really know. Uh you know, it's but there are people that want to be in Georgia because football is important at the bottom line, you know? Yes, sir. Most definitely. Coach, you know, speaking of that, you know, you're a vet. I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than I've been coaching and doing it successfully. How have you managed to last and remain relevant for so long? Well, you know, guys, I was asked this question and I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there kind of in this way. Uh, number one, I had a guy ask me, we were playing for our 200th win or whatever in a local TV station I was making, came in, did an interview. And they asked me, he said, well, coach, what do you think's been your top accomplishment as a coach? And I said, the fact that I went to Westmoreland High School, as I mentioned before, which was my hometown, number one, they had the courage and, and thought enough of me to hire me back. I went to Beach High School and served as an assistant there for six years. And when our coach retired, they made me their head football coach. I left there and I came to Dublin, Georgia, and I've been able to stay here for 18 years. Now, the thing about that is this, man. I have worked for, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 14 superintendents and 17 principals. And I haven't been fired yet. Wow. Okay, and, and you guys know, and these guys out here in the coaching world that are listening to this podcast understand when you change principles, a lot of times they got their guy, somebody that they've grown up with or been around, and they want to bring them in to coach their program, or especially a superintendent. They want a guy that's in their corner. Well, for me, I try to treat my players the same way, and I want them to treat us the same. I understand that the person who's my superintendent is my boss. I understand the principal that I work for is my boss. Just like we want our players to understand that the head coach is their boss. You know, their position coach is their boss. You've got to find a way to make the things that you believe in and the things that you want to do. As long as you're fair, you're consistent. You treat everybody with the same amount of respect, and when somebody gets out of line, you 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 know you address it and you handle it. I think any administrator will appreciate that. You know, from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint, we have what we believe in. We have tried to master, and by not changing, uh, we have our philosophies and why what we do works for us. We don't vary from it. We can adapt to the type of personnel that we have, but we figured out how in your practice routines, how in your schedules, how in your off-season time, how you can blend all of that together. And at the end of the day, 
if you're honest, if you tell people what they want to hear all the time, sooner or later you get caught up in that. I think the key is, is to be brutally honest when a parent wants to come in and sit down and meet with you and question why their child's not getting the playing time they need. Tell them the truth, you know, because as long as you're truthful, then you don't get caught up in these little circles and this outside interference and people can't come after you because I've said this or I've said that. So I, I think being able to follow the chain of command, having a system that you believe in, and at the end of the day, be honest. Well, you know, that says a lot, Coach, and I mean, uh, I hope that uh, people – um, take that into into you know consideration because uh, that's key in this business and of course everything that you've done is you know very high and exemplary of that so I definitely think that's something that um, more coaches need to not only receive but try to put into their you know life if they're not already doing it and you know you can't control anything but what you do and that's exactly pretty much what you said and the only thing you can do is do your best. Well, Coach, I got a two-part question for you right here. Okay, being from Dublin okay. uh, and and having played what having played what most people consider uh, small school football, you know, I'm aware of how lower-level football functions in the state. Why don't you share with our listeners some of the challenges that head coaches at smaller schools have to deal with uh, daily, and then come back and on the flip side, what are some of the uh, positive experiences? that you uh, that you undergo that larger schools may miss out on? Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head there, guys, that there are positives and there are negatives. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, one of the toughest things for us here in Dublin, man, that we faced uh, since I came here in 2002, we had almost 1,100 students. We were a triple-A football program. Uh, when we were yeah. – uh, dismissed, I guess, at the end of this year, uh, weren't allowed to go back to school. We have 497 kids at Dublin High School. Uh, that's it. Uh, so the expectations have not changed. We went from 3A to 2A. We just finished a run in 2A, and now the next classification, we're going down to single A. Uh, as you lose numbers, okay, the hardest thing to do, for example, man, and you got to understand it from the administrative standpoint, now it's harder to get coaches uh, because you don't have teaching slots. Teaching slots are based on the number of students that you have. So being able to build that quality staff is hard to do. My guys, everybody in our program, they're having to coach two sports. They cannot focus on football year-round. We can't get our offensive linemen together in those groups of four all during the offseason, and they're out on the field getting some extra work because they're offensive line coach. One's coaching baseball, and the other one's coaching wrestling. Uh, you know, you've got coaches spread out everywhere trying to coach all of our other sports. So being able to focus on the individual teaching, I think, becomes extremely tough. Now, I figured this out a long time ago, man, and I think these numbers even hold pretty pretty close to uh, sound in the state of Georgia. When I was in Tennessee, I mentioned to you that we were the smallest school in the largest classification. We had 1,300 students. 
that 1,300 students at that time, guys, if you pull it up and look about anywhere you look, and it's kind of strange how it works this way, but when you look at the school's enrollment, darn, it's right there at 50-50, males and females. I don't care where you look. So if you're talking about the game of football, you've got 1,300 students. That means you got 650 boys in your school. That 650 kids, you're going to, if you've got a good football program, you're only going to get about 15% of your male population out to play the game. So 650, 65% is 10%, throw another 33 in there. You've got about 100 kids out for football in grades 9 through 12. Now you take Dublin, let's say we've got 500 students right now, men. So that means there's 250 boys. That same 15% is going to put you at 40 kids on your program. Now that's why classifications are so important. Just the raw numbers and the, the, the amount of kids. That's an average program is 15%. A good program might carry 20% of their kids. So when you start looking, let's just say that you've got a school with 1,200 students. If they've got 1,200, that's 600 boys. If they're at 15%, they've got 90 kids out for football. That's 90 to choose from. That same school with 500 kids has got 40 kids to choose from. Both of them have the same percentage of kids that are playing the game. So the small school situation makes it tough on having coaches that can specialize. You obviously want, I think all of us, if we're smart, we want our kids participating in as many sports as we can. So uh, in the small schools, that's the tough thing, okay? The positive of most small school settings, men, there's one school with one school board. You think about all the small single-A schools, there's small county schools, uh, like a Johnson County or a Twiggs County or Macon County. When you start thinking about all of those small single-A and most double-A schools, there's only one school system. Everybody that's involved is all pulling for that one school system. Your board of education is not having to do for school C, D, and E the same that they're having to do for school A. And every school is different. So being in a small school setting normally means there's one board of education and they're making all their decisions for that one school and the good of that system. And I think that's probably when we start getting into the big schools when, you know, when you talk about Gwinnett County, Cobb County, you know, any of the larger counties, well, they've got 15 high schools and whatever they do for one, they've got to do for all. And, and I think that cuts into the identity and the support of those individual programs. That's a, a lot to say. And I think that, um, you know, you say that and, and I definitely can agree with that. Being a head coach at a seven day program, one of the things that when we got it going that you that that is different is like you said, when I got 120, 20 kids in the program, it was hard to know those freshmen like you yep. wanted to, because you had to spend you wanted to spend so much time on making sure that the seniors had a special last season. Not necessarily about the wins, but the environment, the enjoyment. 
And so when you're at the smaller schools, you can do that. But small time football does not mean that you're playing inferior football in many cases, like you said, because the school board, the superintendent, the principal is one school. So those resources and support that goes into that, um, that's that's big, you know, when you talk about the schools on that level. You know, so, guys, and that's why a lot of your, when I think about your large schools, for example, uh, Coughlin County, uh, Tiff County, uh, Ware County, even though they're larger schools, see, the, and you look at a lot of those and there's one school that they're trying to, to make happen, you know? And those programs are usually rich in their tradition. The people that live there have been there their whole life. Uh, there's more transient, obviously, things. The, the further you go north and get around the metro area, people are willing to open their pocketbooks up and help you out in the smaller or one-school communities. So all those things, I think, play a factor. Um, it's, you know, so much stuff going on, and, you know, we don't have a clue. Um, just rumors and in the windows and talks and prayers and hopes about the upcoming season, but it's in the air. Um, you know, being that you guys are in a community that's smaller and everybody's kind of knit together, what things have you been doing to keep in touch with your kids and, and keep them going? Because you're coming off a of state championship season. And, um, you know, what kind of things are you doing to keep those kids going? Well, guys, that's uh... – you know, I may surprise you with this answer. We we phone call them a little. We put a little bit of stuff out, you know, on Facebook or uh, and our assistant coaches will call some of them. But to be, you know, we told them what we want them to do, and we kind of left them alone a little bit, guys. Uh, in the sense that I was talking with my superintendent about it last night. You know, I need some. I think if you are in touch with them every day right now, they're going to lose their fire a little bit, okay? I kind of want to know when we're maybe within three weeks of being able to get back together and get things going, I think I can keep them motivated and focused and, and, and start getting them running around and doing things and trying to get in shape some. I think if that draws out over a six or seven week period, eight week period, guys, I'm afraid that uh, you know you're going to start. They're going. They can't hear the same message for eight weeks in a row and stay motivated with it. So for us right now, I'm kind of looking at it as uh, they know what we've asked them to do. We're not staying on them. We're not hounding them. And uh, now when we maybe get a little bit of clarity. Uh, if somebody says, all right, hey, it looks like we're going to be able to get things up and running uh, after the dead week, you know, the first week in July. Well, then I think in June, you got to start trying to encourage them to get out and do some other things and those kind of deals. But I've kind of taken the approach to this, man, where I want them to be safe. You know, I, I don't want them, I don't want to lose a kid over the coronavirus or that kid loses grandparent because we were encouraging them and pushing them to be out and doing things that our medical people are telling us not to do. Yes, sir. I, I'm with you. You're not the only one. I, I keep trying to tell coaches, be patient. And, you know, one thing we talked about off air before we started was 
Um, no school is doing anything right now. So nobody has an advantage outside of what their kids are doing. So it's okay. Um, and, you know, one thing as football coaches, we get so busy worried about football sometimes that we forget about life and living. And right now, life and living are a lot more important than football. Well, it, it better be because at the end of the day, you know, yeah, it's it's uh, we can't live with ourselves as coaches. I don't think, man, if we something happened to one of our kids and we were given a full advice, you know, we how bad do we feel when we lose a football game as a coach because we didn't think we had them prepared right or something happened in the game and we know that we didn't cover that. Those are the things that's hard to live with. Well, I don't know that I can bounce back realistically because we do love our kids. We, we're hard on them. We're tough on them. We demand a lot from them. But right now, there are, there are circumstances that say, be careful. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Coach, that, that is great advice, man. I think a lot of us as coaches, you know, we want to we stay on our kids and stay on them, try to make sure they're they're staying abreast of uh, of football and kind of sometimes it's it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture, you know. So uh, that is very very good advice that you just provided, um, Coach. As I stated in your intro, you deservedly been deemed a wean T guru by coaches from all across the country. In the age of spread offense, uh, Coach Banks and myself we're we're culprits. How have you managed to stay true to your style of play and continue to have the success that you had? Uh, in the process? Well, man, that's not, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, Coach Smith, mm -hmm. Coach Banks, you know, I, I look around and, and uh, you know, I, I jokingly said this, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, man. Uh, we just won the state championship. Uh, had a great year. Did some things that uh, you're not supposed to be able to do. I said, you know, they made a big deal out of the fact that we didn't throw the football in the state semifinals or in the state championship game. I, you know, and I told him, I said, right now, jobs come open in the state of Georgia. We just won a state championship, man. I guarantee you I couldn't get a job in the state of Georgia if I put my name in the hat for one because it's not sexy. Wow. Uh, you know, and I get that. Now, what most people, you know, for me, and in the wing T offense, uh, I can throw all the passing game. I can be in four wide formations. Uh, if my quarterback is a thrower, you know, and we've had quarterbacks that have thrown for 1,500 yards and 28 touchdowns a season since I've been in Georgia. But that kid could throw the football, you know, and throw it well. Uh, we've had – uh, teams like this year where we felt like that without question, the strength of our team was running the football. We've had some great defenses since I've been in Georgia. We had a team one year that only gave up three points in the 10 games of the whole regular season. But this year we wore, we were a good defensive football team, but we weren't great. We gave up 40-something points to Thomasville. We gave up 32 in the state championship game. Well, the fact that we were able to run the football, maintain the clock, and slow the game down gave us a chance to win. Uh, the other thing is this. I mean, 
The wing T offense is a lot like the spread, guys, in this sense, and I believe this because the spread has evolved over the years since I remember it first coming in. Uh, the spread offense has answers now. See, and that's really what the wing T is about. When I do this, they've got to do this. It's a chess match. By using your formations, by using your series of plays, when they do this to stop me, then it means they're giving me this. Well, guys, that's what the RPO is about now. That's what the zone read is. All of those things are having answers to the way people address you, okay, from a defensive standpoint. So for us, uh, I'm not tooting my own horn, but because I've been a part of the wing T offense since 1976, if you tell me who made the tackle, I can tell you what we need to run next. You know, I think it's about knowing what you need to do. Some of our quarterbacks that we've had in the past, they didn't throw the ball very well, man, but they could run the option. So all of a sudden, a big part of our system is what Georgia Tech was running, the midline and the veer. That's a completely different offense than the wing tee, but we're able to adapt it into uh, – our basic system. Now, the spread and the wing tee, see, for me, like what a lot of people don't understand is our method to what we're doing is totally dependent upon what my quarterback can do. But because we are a run-based offense, I can lose my starting quarterback just like we did this year in the second game of the season. And my backup, who can't do some of the things that the starter could do, we were still able to average 45 points a game and adapt to what that quarterback could do, which was basically run our wing team. Uh, you know, the team we had in 2006, we had a quarterback, Ben Cochran, who ended up signing with the Air Force Academy. Ben could run the option, but he could also throw the football. Well, guys, his junior year, we set the scoring record in the state of Georgia for the most points ever scored in the 10-game regular season, 549 points. He comes back his senior year. We broke the 15-game scoring record in the state of Georgia with 682 points because the quarterback could throw, run the option, and we could run the wing tee. We were in great shape. I feel the advantage that we have is the fact that a lot of spread teams are 100% so reliant on the skills of their starting quarterback that if that individual gets hurt, your whole season could go down the tubes real quick. That's what has kept me from adjusting and, and falling in to getting away from what we're doing. I hope that answers the question. It might have been more than what you wanted, but that that's it. No, that's that's a great answer, Coach. That's a great answer. You you're sticking like like the question say you're sticking true to yourself, uh, and then then you're putting your kids in the best uh, positions to be successful, which is what uh, coaching is all about. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a wing T guy, uh, but but I tell you what, I do love to watch guys like you and Paul Johnson who know what they're doing. I love to watch it because it's, it's a thing of beauty. Well, it's it's like anything, man. If it's executed well, you know, there, there are no 
number one offenses. There are no number one defenses. You know, I get asked at a lot of clinics. Well, Coach, what uh, what defense do you hate to line up and go against the most? And and the honest answer is, guys, I've had my hind end whipped by a split four, a three four, a five two, a three five, a five three. I've had my hind end kicked from all of them. <laughs> but we've also had games where we've scored 70 points against all of them. It, it gets down to what your kids are able to do. And, and then, you know, we have our critics now. Don't get me wrong. I think y'all are probably well aware we have our critics in Dublin, Georgia, just like everywhere else, who think we need to be in the spread and we need to be doing this and we need to be doing that. And, uh, at the end of the day, our kids believe in what we're doing. Our kids, we've had enough kids. We've had quarterbacks, had signed football scholarships, running backs, offensive linemen, even wide receivers. And then defensively, every position that we've got on our field, somebody in my time here in Dublin, Georgia, has been able to sign a scholarship from playing that position. So it's not just about uh, the system, you know, and, and, and I think it's tough. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get a bunch of uh, five-star quarterbacks trying to transfer into Dublin, Georgia, uh, because we don't throw the football 35 times a game. Uh, if I'm a spread guy, it might be hard to get running backs. You know, uh, I think what what you do is you adapt to what your kids can do. And, and our system is not the Delaware wing team. Our system is quite different than the traditional Delaware wing tee. And, and uh, you know, that's that's what makes it a little bit unique. And we always try to adapt what we're doing to what our quarterback is best at. Well, Coach, you've been uh, you've been doing the uh, the wing tee uh, clinic for, for a while. My, both myself uh, and Coach Banks have had the privilege to speak at your clinic. Uh, what prompted you to begin hosting the clinics and uh, and what do you hope to for coaches to gain by attending? Well, guys, you're right, and, and the reason our clinic got started was the fact that when we came to Georgia from the state of Tennessee, as a wing tee football coach, the wing tee was huge in the state of Georgia at that time. There were probably 30% of the schools in the state of Georgia that were wing tee football teams, and a lot of that was because the University of Delaware used to come down and did their own wing tee camp at West Georgia College. Well, because our system was quite different, that first year in Georgia in 2002, guys, we were doing all the jet sweep stuff, the multiple unbalanced stuff. We were doing things that weren't traditional wing tee things. And all of a sudden, that first year, we go 14-1. and one, We lost the state championship game to Scranton County at their place. And I started having some coaches like, we're doing now, they would call and say, hey, you mind if I bring our staff over and and you'll go over with us what y'all are doing? And that was never a problem with me. I felt great doing it. But it got into the fact where we were, I was spending five or six weekends uh, every winter with staffs at our school. And I said, man, why don't we just start us a wing tee clinic? I'd always kind of thought it'd be neat to, to have a clinic and, and be with coaches and and share ideas, 
and the, my mentor, Herschel Moore, was still alive. And uh, so I said, hey, he's the best. I'm bringing him in. So I brought Coach Moore in. We had Steve Perdue from LaGrange. Uh, I had Robbie Pruitt, who was at Fitzgerald at the time. I did a lecture. It was a one-room wing tea room, and we did a Friday, Saturday. And we only had about 75 coaches there. But we did a good job with the clinic, I think. And the next year, we did it at the same place. There was only one meeting space available. And it wouldn't hold but 120 people. And I had 150 people sign up for our clinic. So I knew then I was going to have to move it. And we moved it out to the vocational college. Uh, when we moved it out there, guys, the clinic expenses went up <laughs> tremendously uh, to have it in that quality of a facility and I said well if I'm going to keep doing this I'm going to have to have more than 100 coaches or we're not going to be able to have a clinic and uh, so what we did was we expanded the wing the wing T clinic then into three rooms we had a traditional under center wing T room Auburn and Clemson and Chad Morris and all those guys were starting to take the under center wing T and they were doing it out of the gun. And uh, there were a lot of people that were interested in that. So we started a second room, which was the hybrid gun wing T room. And then I said, you know, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of the spread guys are trying to do some of the same things that the wing T people are doing or the hybrid wing T. So we, we moved the clinic and we started having three rooms, uh, again and it was all offense and our clinic numbers continued to grow every year uh, and then the coaches and I've always tried to give them what they asked for if they tell me coach we'd like to see this or that if we can make it happen well obviously we try to do that and uh, they started telling me coach why don't you go ahead and put some defensive lectures in here because we'll bring our whole staff we love coming to this clinic if you'll start some defensive lectures We'll just bring our whole staff here. We'd just soon be at this clinic because we're actually getting more football for a lot cheaper rate than we do when we go to the Glaciers. So we started defensive lectures. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that this clinic uh, hit a high number two years ago of 347 coaches in attendance, and they were from 19 different states. And, uh, you know, some people probably think that the clinic business is very profitable. I got news for you. It's not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, when you're paying for your speakers and you're paying for their hotel rooms and you're paying for their social on Friday night and you're paying for their lunch on Saturday and you're paying for the venue where you're having it, and you have to get a website and you got to get the online registration and they're getting a cut of this and that. You know, the truth of the matter is, man, I've never lost money doing the clinic. Uh, but I tell people a couple of years ago, uh, we made $300 off of running our clinic. And nobody knows the amount of time and energy it takes to make it happen. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun to me, man. I like talking football. We all know that. I appreciate, you know. Most of the times, like both of y'all said, y'all been to speak at my clinic. And really all it was was, hey, I make a phone call and say, word is on the street, you guys are doing a great job with what you're doing in your spread offense. How about come share those ideas? And y'all said, hey, let's go. Let's do it. 
And that that's what's made it neat. Yeah, Coach, I think, you know, I, I enjoyed speaking at the clinic. Travis enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed everything else too. The social, in the talk with coaches, you know, everything. It's a, you know, it's a different clinic than Glacier. And I think yours has been better because more people have been open. You don't get so many people want the big names. Yours has been open and unique, and you get those grassroots ideal. And you know, even for I'm a spread guy, but when I got started in this business, I worked for James Teeter, and he was a wing T guy. And sure, I know yeah. that if you're a wing T guy, and you want to get those secrets of Herschel Moore and Wes Elrod, and you know Roger Holmes, you better come and get them now because you guys are the last, you know, mm-hmm. lineages to that time. And you know, yeah. I, I tell people all the time, I'm a spread guy, but I still got that um, debt and and more book in my house and I go to it from time to time and I didn't think you know the thing you've done with the clinic is wonderful. So um if you're listening to this and you have not been to Dublin to the coach's clinic when he has it next year, trust me, it is a must go to go to the, the Southeast Wing T Clinic. It was it was fantastic. Well, I appreciate that man and just so people know it's always in March. We mm-hmm. try to do it the Friday and Saturday always before uh, St. Patrick's weekend. So that's, that's how we set up our date. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good clinic. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. I'm not just tooting my own horn. We, we try to make it good. And, you know, I, I've always felt like, uh, you're not going to go anywhere and get any better speakers than, uh, what we always try. We bring some guys from out of state. We have some college guys. I try to keep as many high school guys involved as speakers because we're on the ground level we're all we're doing it we don't we don't get to go out and pick and choose everybody that's going to play for us and uh so it's it's been fun i hope you know when i retire i'd like to still be able to keep the clinic going because it keeps me in the game of football keeps me having an opportunity to talk with people like you guys well coach we're approaching the end of a show our our final question is always our, our finisher question for all of our guests Okay, if you can answer this for us, what is the one thing that coaches or administrators should make sure they're doing in their programs or their schools right now? Guys, I think the thing that we've been able to do this last year, which our superintendent made it happen, and I'm not sure whether every school system is able to do this or not, uh, but we've started a feeding program for our kids. Uh, it's it's a federally funded program. Yes, we definitely. have to have some tutoring built in and so on and so forth. But the, uh, we were able to, our kids, every time they came off the practice field, they never were at Dublin High School after school that they didn't get an opportunity to have a meal before they went home. Uh, you've heard of all the nutrition programs that, uh, that some of the schools are doing. Well, this has been a great thing. And, man, I don't have all the answers to it. If you want to reach out to me and get with our uh, food source people or whatever to find out some information how they've been able to make that work. Uh, But I I really think uh, that was a huge factor for us having an opportunity to play for a state championship because at the end of the day, we've always had those kids. They started the season at 220, and you play a 15-game season – go in and weigh them after the season, they weigh 202. Uh, we didn't have that breakdown of our kids' bodies because it's really a shame 
how a lot of them really, mm -hmm. they just don't have what they need. Now, they it's not like they're eating steak and potatoes every night now, but they, they've got a nice warm meal to eat for them uh, before they get out of there. You've got a way to do that for your kids. I think you can pay a lot of dividends. That 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 is huge, Coach. Like you said, so so many of our kids, uh, once they the, when they're at school, that's the only time they they can get a meal. So to be able to provide a meal after practice or before practice for them, and make sure that they don't uh, go hungry that night is it, it, real big. Uh, and I commend you guys for for getting that done. Well, people, that's our show for tonight. We want to send a big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and keep the interactions going. Follow the podcast at G-A-H-S-F-B Chat. That's at Georgia High School Football Chat. You can follow myself, Coach Travis Smith, at underscore Coach T. Smith. Again, that's at underscore Coach T. Smith. My co-host, Coach Banks, you can find him at tbanks1906. Again, that's at tbanks1906. Coach Holmes, how can our listeners keep up with you and the Southeast Wing T Clinic? Uh, guys, I'm under Southeast Wing T Clinic on Twitter. Uh, my Gmail is uh, southeastwingtclinic at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, anything, our website is southeastwing-tclinic.com. And uh, we've got all of our uh, DVDs and all that type of stuff. Our Wing T offense are on there. I've got all of Herschel Moore's uh offensive playbooks which to me are the best anywhere and then our whole complete offensive system right now is up on coach two uh it's 17 different courses uh our kicking game and our offense is all up there so if anybody needs anything reach out to me man and i'll try to help you out well thank you very much coach on behalf of our guest coach roger holmes and my co-host coach banks I am Coach Smith, and this has been the Georgia High School Football Chat Podcast with Smitty and Banks, where culture it is for coaches. We on the grind in Georgia all the time. It ain't nothing on my mind, but Georgia.